Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I am so pumped about this episode because I'm going to sit down and speak with real estate entrepreneur Steve Valentine. But before I do, I just want to remind you that there are only a few slots left for my business mastermind in 2018. Now, the purpose of this mastermind is not only to grow your business acumen, I mean, that's going to happen with all the experts in the room, plus the experts we're bringing in but also to grow your money mindset, to make sure that the amount that you think you can earn and the amount that you think you're capable of earning and that you deserve to earn expands for 2018. And who are the perfect people for that room? It's anybody who is in the mid to multiple six figures range, let's say anywhere from $250,000 a year up to $950,000 a year and insists on 2018 being the year that they break into seven figures. We're going to give you all the tools, all the contacts, all of the shortcuts, all the education to get to that seven-figure mark in 2018. There's only a few slots left. If you think it's right for you or if you know someone it's right for, don't forget to go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. Again, that is fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind and fill out the application there. Now, I can't wait for you to hear this episode with Steve Valentine. Steve is a millionaire who is self-made in real estate, and real estate has been a family tradition for him, but it hasn't always been up. It's been up and down and then way up and then a massive crash, and he walks us through that story and offers you so much inspiration as he goes through that story. And then stick with us through the interview because he gives very specific advice for anybody facing a huge obstacle. Matter of fact, his own story of when he faced his biggest obstacles, uh, his story of inspiration will absolutely light you up. He talks about why losing everything was a blessing for he and his wife and his family. Matter of fact, he also talks about why he and his wife are committed, are you ready for this, to giving 25% of their income away each year and how, as a result, it has made their income skyrocket. I'm not kidding. The income did not skyrocket first, and then they gave 25%. No, they committed to giving 25%, which scared them, and then, as a result, their income skyrocketed. It's the coolest story. It's the coolest formula for boosting your income, and I can't wait for you to hear it. He talks about the unique and incredible company perks that they give their employees at his company and how it comes back around to boost their business exponentially and even tells stories about this really cool trickle-down effect that all of their generosity is having on their kids and a great story about the amazing difference that their kids were able to make for others because of watching their generosity. Basically, every story that Steve tells of his generosity is worth the listen alone. All the other tips he gives you, that's really just a bonus. You're going to walk away from this episode more inspired than ever to give, give, give. So get ready, settle in, take some notes because this episode is incredible. All right, Steve, my man, thank you so much for being on. I'm actually really excited to chat with you today because when I got a chance to meet you at Summit of Greatness, 
I found out you have some really cool stuff going on. Yeah, it's great being here. I was uh, super excited to meet you and have that introduction and uh, great to finally catch up and see uh, see how we can impact uh, your uh, your audience. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. I'm totally in for that. Now, when I met you, I, I quickly discovered that you are one of the most giving individuals that I've ever come across. But before we get to that really cool part, I feel like people have to kind of get to know you, right? And so I read that you're a third generation real estate entrepreneur. Why don't you kind of tell us about this rich real estate history that you have that, you know, your family has kind of passed down to you? Sure. Uh, rich real estate. It's kind of funny that you say that. So um, my grandmother was a one of the first women real estate brokers in Illinois. Uh, my mom and dad met at a Red Lobster. Uh, my dad was a manager. My mom was a bartender. And um, they kind of got sucked into the family business in Illinois back in the 70s before I was born. Uh, and then in the very early 80s, my aunt came out to Phoenix, Arizona before it was a place on the map. And uh, everybody else was convinced to move out here because there was no snow. And so they came out here and started real estate over in that, that time period. Uh, going forward in the late 90s, when I was getting out of high school, I had a love for cars. I loved to build them, work on them. Um, and my parents always did real estate. So my natural progression was to not do what I, my parents did, uh, to, be the, to be the rebel. So I went into the automotive business for a little while. Uh, by the grace of God, somebody broke in one night and stole all my tools. And I got a nice insurance check, which was my way out of the business. And so my dad was a, was a great entrepreneur, very creative in the real estate space. He lived through all the ups and down markets. And uh, I got the opportunity to go work with him, you know, as a, being mentored by one of the greats here in the Phoenix area. And so... We went through that. We had a we had an awesome run into 2005, 2006, and of course, like the rest of the country, you know what happened in that time frame. We uh, we built a big business. We were doing about six to seven hundred transactions a year as a team. My wife, my mom, my dad, and uh, a staff, and we started to venture into the construction side. Well, that didn't bode well at the end of the day. So 2006, uh, two infants. And married, and the partnership with my parents was going downhill quickly because we had put in more than a million dollars in keeping this business alive, and that was being lost. And then on top of it, when we split our partnership, uh, we took on a million dollars worth of debt when we left. So 2007, our house got foreclosed on. I had a one-year-old, three-year-old, and we had to start over. So at that point, you can imagine I was a pretty miserable failure. Uh, the market had tanked. But the cool thing was is that I didn't know what was really in store for me next and that I had to go through this phase in order to be prepared for the next chapter in my life. So by losing everything, it was actually a blessing. And uh, so, you know, keep going. We're hiding our cars, we're not paying car payments, we're doing all these things trying to survive as we have no money. And American Express wants $300,000 from us along with a bunch of other people. We get to 2008, I'm given the opportunity of all opportunities from my past real estate broker uh, to do the foreclosures, to step into a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac contract. Awesome opportunity, I got that actually September 10th, 2008 
I remember like it was yesterday because if you weren't doing REOs or foreclosures in that time frame, you really weren't feeding your family. And uh, I remember her calling and uh, saying, do you have $10,000? I did the Grant Cardone thing. Sure, I've got 10 grand. <laughs> I have no idea where I'm gonna get 10 grand, but I did find it from a great friend and mentor of mine and uh, that allowed me to get into it. And then the worst of the worst happened. So we're two months into this venture and Thanksgiving week, 2008, I was doing a mad mud run obstacle with a friend and I broke my neck. So doing an obstacle course, the last obstacle course was a mud pit. And when I dove in, there was something sticking out of the ground and it crushed my C5, C6. So this is on top of the opportunity we just were given. And I was so scared of losing the opportunity that I set up in the hospital with a halo on and I kept working. I kept talking to people. We kept trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, my wife was in the business with me again, two infants. We had the really hard choice that week, which was a 50, 50 shot that I'd come out paralyzed. And the doctor said, we can do evasive surgery, which is seven pins in your neck. And we hope it all goes well. And nothing's close enough to severing your spinal cord. But the other option was doing a halo, which was six months of stuff drilled into my shoulders. You never know how that's going to go. So we made the choice together. She knew what she was up against if I came out paralyzed. And I knew what I was going to be up against if it happened. And so by the grace of God and a lot of prayer and a lot of going through it, we came out just fine. I actually healed in six weeks after that. Wow. Um, so and I've had no repercussions since. And um that was just another challenge when it came down to it. So, you know, we got through it and it's just a great piece to, to the story when it comes down to, I've had a lot of obstacles over the last 10 years and, um, you know, get through, we did, we did a little more than 2,500 sales and from 2008 to 2012 in the foreclosure space, uh, there was times that we had 150 pending transactions and nearly 300 listings across the state that we were managing. And it allowed us in 2012, this is probably the most proud moment that I have is that in 2012, we had paid off the last bit of that million dollars worth of debt. Wow. So we never filed bankruptcy and we plugged through and you know, obviously there were some things with some companies that they allowed us to settle some things on, but we plowed through in 2012, we had paid off the last bit of debt and we bought our house again. Wow. And so that's, that's kind of the, the end of the beginning when it comes down to that era. And then two years later, as we're the, the, the REO market, the foreclosure market starting to die down and 2014, my dad was still really deep in the investment side of real estate. Again, my dad was one of the most creative men I've ever seen in my life when it comes down to doing deals and making things work. And 2014, I had one more blow to discover. My dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Oh, geez. So he had terminal brain cancer, December, 2014. He was diagnosed two days before my family was supposed to go on a Christmas cruise. And, uh, we had lots of conversations before then. And uh, when I came back, it was, uh, I spent 2015 half in my dad's business and half in my business breaking his business down because he was declining rapidly. And uh, so it was, uh, it was a short nine months that, uh, that my dad went from diagnosis to passing. 
And uh, my, my goal was to figure out how to break down his company from the sales standpoint and bring it down just to the property management company so that my mom had a company and an income that would continue to produce on a monthly basis. And that's, that's what we did. So we worked together under two companies, um, you know, my dad's company, my mom's company, and, uh, and then my company. So we, we got all that fixed up and worked out before he passed. And uh, when he passed uh, September um, 2015, uh, it, was, it was hard. But my dad, you, you talk about your, your podcast and just the greatness that can be done with, with money and generosity. And my dad was such a generous man. And I feel like he struggled sometimes to get the business to the perfect place but he was always being generous and he was always great at giving and it was never about him. It was always about everybody else. And I believe that now, you know, going forward two years, I believe that that legacy is being carried on, but it's been multiplied times 10. That's incredible. You know, in your story there, I literally was typing like a madman because I've got so many questions that kept popping up that I wanted to ask you and I didn't want to interrupt your flow. So I kind of want to move back real quick. Um, to when you said, you know, your grandma started in the real estate business and then, you know, trickled down to your parents. And of course you got involved after a little stint trying to get into the automotive business. What did your family teach you about business itself? Cause obviously they were go-getters. They were successful entrepreneurs. Looking back, what lessons did you pull out of your watching your family being raised in that type of atmosphere? I'm going to give you twofold on this, Chris, because a lot of people, in fact, I had a hard time and my coach brought this to my attention. There was a ton of stuff my dad taught me to do, but there was a ton of stuff he taught me not to do. And I say that because my dad tended to, he was a go-getter. He was a total workaholic when I was growing up. I mean, we'd go to the lake and my dad would set up an office on a picnic table type thing. And, uh, you know, that was his deal. He was always looking for the next deal, always grinding it out. And so my dad was a never give up guy. You know, that's one of the things that I got from my dad, but my dad was also a generous soul. Like sometimes to a fault where he would take on a family from church and that would be like his mission all year to get them a car, to make sure their Christmas was taken care of. Sometimes almost more so where you're like, Hey dad, I'm over here. What about me? But my dad was, my dad was always the guy that said, you know what? Our family's good. They have what they need that may, they may not see this, but this is what I want to do. And this is why I'm doing it. So, you know, my, my dad was an entrepreneur, my heart. And when I say, you know, a lot of people, when the going gets tough, they bail on the industry or they go get another job. So think about this. My dad got into the real estate market in the seventies. And you think about what was going on in the stock market in the late seventies. The, the prices of gas, the prices of stocks, all the stuff that was happening, the interest rates, I think were at 18% around that time mm -hmm. going into the eighties. He got through that, never got a second job. He just figured out how to be more creative. You get to the late eighties, early nineties, we had the savings and loan scandal, you know, that went down and rocked the world when it comes down to, again, interest rates, all the stuff that happened. And then you come back to you know, the 2000s, you know, the end of the 90s, there was some stuff going on there because when I bought my first house in 99, interest rates were at almost eight. Um, then you go 2001 to 2004 and things were just rocking. But we didn't do a great job of preparing for the what if 
what if this happens? What if the sky falls? And uh, so we took our eye off the ball, you know, that 2004, 2005, and that's what caused the 2006 crash as far as our business goes. So generosity and the never quit mentality, two amazing, you know, things to be brought up with and to have an adult. It's no wonder that you're thriving in, in many ways, not just financially, but in many ways right now. Now, same question, but different subject. What did your family and, and all that rich history teach you about money growing up? Oh, absolutely nothing. <laughs> it, it's, it's true. You know, I'll give you the, the greatest example. My dad would believe a lot of the, or would go to a lot of things. And, and here's the greatest example. When I was 20, he took me to do a Dave Ramsey seminar. And we all know Dave Ramsey's a, a get debt free and knock it out and go through it. So I was 20. I was just getting ready to get married. Um, and we went through it. And so when I walked out, I was on fire. Six hours of Dave Ramsey. I got the course. I went home to my wife. My wife thought I was crazy. And I literally cut up every credit card we had. And she's like, now what are we going to do? And, you know, we had this little office before we had kids. And I pinned up all the credit cards on the wall, all cut up. And we literally, we paid off all of our debt except for our house before the market started to turn. And then credit was really easy. And we lost, we lost sight of what we should have been doing. So money was not... Uh, it was not very well preserved when it came down to what I was taught when I was growing up. In a way, you could almost say that was a lesson, though, because although it was not the intended lesson, now you know the way you speak. You, the way you speak about it, it set a example of maybe not what you wanted to do. Correct. It was, hey, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it differently. So now let's move on to the crash that you, you keep referring to. And we all got our butts handed to us in, in 2007, 2008. Uh, right. Lori and I did um, as well. And, and you did a great job describing what happened to you and, and why you guys lost your business. And even that, that break that you got that kind of opened up the door for you to make a little bit of a comeback and, and turn it into the incredible business that you have today. The question I have for you around that was you said losing everything was a blessing. Why is that? Because I think sometimes in life, I think that, you know, whether you believe in God or not, I think we go through challenges. And my opinion is, is that God allowed me to go through that before it was popular to do it. You know, when you went to a Christmas party in 2008, everybody laughed about having short sales and foreclosures and all that stuff. I went through it in 2007, which was like your pride was hurt. I mean, I can go back and show you a suicide note that I never executed on, obviously but really wanted to because I was that miserable of a failure at the time. Um, but the point in that is that when we started getting calls from friends, from family members, uh, from people in the business, you know, I'm about to lose my house and this is what's going on. We had already gone through the emotional piece of it and we're on to how do we dig out. When we would go to a teacher's house from the school and she's, we bring a pizza because they can't afford anything and they're like, you know, my husband just lost his job and we're afraid about losing our house and this is what's going on. And keep in mind, when I lost my house, the banks were not talking to anybody about short sales or forgiveness or anything. There was no working out anything. It was just, sorry, we're taking that back. By then, the banks were working with people. And so that teacher shows us a $7,000 credit card bill and she is just terrified. And so I opened up my phone, I'm like, here's mine. 
with American Express, it's like $300,000, do you wanna trade? We were able to get through it from a humorous standpoint because we already knew what was ahead of us, but everybody we met and everybody we talked to, we weren't doing it from emotion, we had already gone through it and we could share that with them. And you know what's better than having to go through the experience when you get to share that with somebody even though it was a total failure? So you had to be ready to open up and just go, I'm an open book. I lost everything, I learned from it, and this is how I can help you do it better than what I did. It made you a better teacher. It, it made, you know, Absolutely. probably, inc you know, strengthened your, your sympathy muscles. And, and I have a hunch that a lot of that has to do with not only a lot of the, the success that you're having right now, but some of the generosity we're going to talk about later. Absolutely. And, you know, in 2008, just before I broke my neck, I was nominated for a broker agent magazine article. And that was the article that was the article that which was kind of crazy that I literally had to make the choice of they're going to write this article. And the Valentine name in the Phoenix real estate was always very successful. Lots of things going on, lots of transactions. And I chose to write that article and let people in to what had actually happened in my life. And it was how failure can make you rich. And so I just unloaded all the failures, all the things that had happened, and here's our next step. And I started getting phone calls from other real estate agents that were in tears going, you've inspired me to keep moving. You've inspired me to keep going. I can't believe you'd open up like this. You guys have been so successful. And it was really it was really cool to be able to do that. Wow. There's that transparency is so valuable to other people. And in a way, because it feels good to always be transparent and, and sometimes talk about the scary stuff, it's valuable to us as well. Correct. So then you went on to you know, making your comeback, finally get that good Fannie Mae contract and you break your neck. And I mean, you're facing, you know, the fact that you might be paralyzed if, if things don't go right. Now there's a lot of people that, have faced and, and are facing insane obstacles in life and in business. I can see why you really felt down and out. What's your advice for people that are facing a huge obstacle right now? I think you need to have that faith in yourself that it's a challenge that you're going through that is going to make you stronger going forward. And you have to stop having the pity party about what's happening right now. And one of the best books that I read during that time was John Maxwell's Failing Forward. Yes. And I've, I've always taken that to heart that every failure we have, no matter big or small, as long as we learn from it, it's one more step up the ladder to something successful. And that's probably the biggest thing that, you know what, if you can look at your failures as rungs in a ladder, sweet. The more I failure, the higher I'm going rather than the more I failure, the worse it's getting. That visual alone is, is really empowering to people. Yeah. So you went on to create, you know, what I've heard and, and, and what I've read as kind of a new way of doing real estate for people. You know, now we're moving past the crash. We're moving yep. past everything into, you know, now that you're thriving. What is this new way of doing real estate for people? How are you guys different than other firms out there? So... This will really irritate somebody, but I hate the word realtor. And here's why. Because I think that the word realtor, if you meet somebody in the airport or um, at a restaurant and they say, what do you do? Well, I sell real estate or I'm a realtor. 
the instant, you know, what's your perception of a realtor? Your instant thing is typically a used car salesman. That's where it's going to go. They're going to give me their card. They're going to start mailing stuff and emailing stuff, and they're going to irritate me going forward. And that really is where people have felt about our industry. So the shift is this. When when we started, when, when my dad got sick and I started looking at what he was doing, my dad was buying a lot of homes at auction for investors and building portfolios. And he had started doing some fix and flip. And back in 2015, that was kind of where the HGTV started to pick up on all these different shows that we have now. And I watched what was going on. I'm like, mm, I think we could tweak that a little bit. So the way of doing real estate now is our logo and our slogan is we handcraft real estate solutions. My, my logo on my shirts actually looks like a beer logo. Um, and it says handcrafted real estate. And here's why I have and can take the person that has no desire, no will to look at real estate investing and teach them how to do it and show them the benefit to them and their kids, which will increase their wealth and increase their impact both now and in the future, whether it be for their family, their kids and everything else. The problem with the 2006 market is people invested because everybody else was, and they all, you know, plopped down to the to the uh, blackjack table and were hoping to make it big, but they did it the really dumb way with no strategy, no one advising. They just called the next realtor offline and said, "Hey, I want to buy a rental property, but I'm going to go do it with a negam loan and all these other things," and. So that was one of the big things that I learned from the 2006 market was how can I teach people to do this different and get them to a point to where it makes sense. So you know, we do traditional real estate, you know, we'll put your house on the market, we'll help you find a house, but here was the shift. We buy this past year, we provided a solution for more than 150 people. That solution was, you don't have to put your house in the market. It's a total train wreck. It's falling apart. We paid cash for it and we bought it. They were able to walk away with the money that they needed and not have any stress of putting it on the market and somebody trying to pitch them, sell them on what they needed to do. It was really about, hey, I'm going to help you make this really easy and I'm going to profit from it. But I want you to understand that this is where my profit's going to go. The profit that you're leaving in this by not doing these things is going to actually go back into the community in this way. Every house that I buy and every transaction that we do supplies and feeds jobs for 32 families in my circle between my wife's company and my company Wow! and, and the vendors and the vendors in it. So if you look at those families over 150 transactions, you know, you do the math when it comes down to the amount of people that are being fed and jobs provided and economy bolstered when it comes down to every transaction. And that family was able to move on. And it, it wasn't a big deal. Yes, they left some money on the table and they knew they did because we went through the numbers, but it was much easier. And not everybody when they sell a house is about money. It's about convenience, it's about time, and it's about providing the very best solution. So we take that house and then I'm gonna go build wealth on the other side for my investors. If you're in your 60s and you have a bunch of cash 
you don't want to own rental properties. There's no great rate of return when it comes down to that. You buy rental properties when you're in 20s and 30s and 40s in order to produce wealth in your 60s, you know, and having somebody else pay that debt, that debt off on that property. So now we take those people in their 50s, 60s, 70s that may not want rental properties, but they have money, and we utilize their funds and we give them a great rate of return on their money, and we buy those 150 homes. And so now they're building wealth in their retirement. We're building wealth in our companies because we're able to buy those properties. My wife's company goes in and designs, renovates, and resells those. And now we've delivered what we call, everybody likes to refer as a fix and flip. We call it a repurposed home. We're taking a dingy house that somebody hasn't cared for, and we're repurposing it for the next family that's going to go into it for the next 10, 15 years. And so our company is about building wealth and providing solutions. It's not about the one to 3% commission that seems to be on everybody's forehead when you're a realtor, when you first get into business, because that's what they teach you. Wow, Steve, that's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. And it's just one of the many examples of, of the giving hearts that you have on top of the incredible brain that you have. And you're utilizing both to create this wealth that you're doing good with. Now, speaking of doing good with your wealth, there's one more thing that kind of sets your company apart uh, from a lot of the other ones out there, and that is some of your employee policies. Do you mind uh, explaining? Sure. So we had my, my CFO, Tammy, came to me and sent me an email. And I've always been probably more generous. When you start hiring people to run your company and they're trying to watch your bottom line, you tend to get questioned on your generosity sometimes. And that's okay. I challenge them on it and I still get the ultimate say so. But she said, Hey, this came in through the payroll company and it talked about unlimited vacation days. Uh, we have 13 employees right now. And I firmly believe that, Hey, the people that we've hired, the culture that we've created, nobody's going to take advantage of this. So in, I don't know, two months ago, three months ago, we enacted our unlimited vacation days. And, uh, it's funny because some people almost feel guilty. So I actually hired um, a chief operating officer in February this year. Um, I'm, I love being with people and I love making the deal and, and going through the real estate. When I hired him in February, he's not even here six months, but he has a, and he hadn't had it planned yet, but he was planning for his wife's birthday to go to Hawaii for 12 days. Well, he got unlimited vacation days, even though he's only been here six months. Um, I've got this rock star, 25 year old, single female that works for me, um, in my wealth building side. And she's one of my partners and she wanted to go to Spain and she's like, I really don't want to, I'm like, we have the policy. You do the work before you go and set me up to succeed while you're gone for 10 days and we're good. No big deal. We can cover it. So when you look at those, there's nobody, we don't track people's time cards. Everybody's on salary. Everybody has unlimited vacation days. Um, last year, we did this really cool thing with uh, one of my partners that I, I own a building with. We bought a second home. So up north of Phoenix is Munns Park. Love the place. It's an hour and a half away, but it's up in the pines. It's 30 degrees cooler. We also gave all of our employees a four-day weekend free of charge whenever they wanted to go use the second home. Wow. Because I wanted my employees to experience what I get to experience. 
And so that's just part of the perks of being here. And that's part of our culture, you know, and it's, uh, it's so much fun. It's so much fun to see the look on somebody's face when you're like, well, here's the keys to the house. Go take a four day weekend with your family. Enjoy. Um, you have to pay for the cleaning service when you're done. That's incredible. It's unlimited vacation, you know, a vacation home that they can use once a year. What are some of the benefits of operating your company this way outside of the obvious, right? Somebody would say, well, duh, morale is great, or people want to be a part of that. Are there some tangible or even some profitable benefits to running a company this way? Oh, absolutely. So when you, when you allow people to do their thing, I believe that they hold themselves accountable if you've created the right culture. So a lot of the, in fact, most of the ladies that work for me, all of our kids go to the same school. So my office, you know, fires up at around 8.30 and it shuts down around three because they've all gone to go get their kids. But I also start seeing emails at 7.30, 8 o'clock with some things that they're finishing up or midnight in some cases um, because they know what needs to get done. And I don't have to be here because I'm not in the office very often because I'm out with people and doing things. And they run the show. And that's one of the differences in, in our real estate firm that most people, and I'm sure you've talked to some real estate agents or know some where they run big teams. So you have the big team lead that's uh, you know, Mike Schmidt with XYZ Realty and he's got 45 agents under him. And that's a great model for some, but I run my team as a business. So I have a COO, I have a CFO, um, I have a listing partner, I have a buyer partner, I have a wealth building partner, um, I've got an acquisition manager, and all those people are salaried, plus bonus. So they're all employees, none of them are 1099 agents, but we all work together to provide the ultimate real estate experience for our clients. That is really cool. It, it's, it's almost like they feel obligated to show up as big for you, as you're showing up for them. And obviously nothing but good things are gonna come out of that. Now, I wanna expand on this giving heart of yours because when I met you, um, I quickly discovered that you're doing a lot of cool things. And one of the things that you're doing to give back is with your income. I mean, you are literally committed with your wife to giving away 20 or 25% of your income this year. Do I have that right? Yeah, you do. Now, most people say, I wanna give away 10%. And to those people, we actually applaud them because, you know, most people are, aren't even giving away 10%, but, but 20%, 25%, what's behind that? Um, you know, what's funny is that it wasn't intentional when it started. Um, so, you know, we look at the biblical standpoint of tithing, which is 10%. And then you look at real estate and you talk to a number of different people and some people will tell you, well, is it 10% of what I brought home or 10% after the business, 10% of the gross commission? You can go back and forth a hundred different ways, however you want to interpret it. So two years ago, we've always tithed off our gross commission income. Well, when our business started to change, it was a little harder to track. So we had profits in the houses that we were repurposing. We had profits in rental properties. So we had all these different things. And so we sat down and kind of reverse engineered how we wanted to give. And I said, honey, I said, most people start with their income goals and they hope to get there at the end of the year. And with their income goals would come their 10% giving goals. I said, so 2015, I think we had 
made somewhere around $250,000, And you know, that was, that was on our tax return. So that was what we actually brought home after the business expense and everything else. And I think that year we had tithed somewhere around 60,000, which was about 20% of our income. Um, so of what was actually reported on our taxes. So we actually went back and I said, let's reverse this and let's take this big, huge leap of faith and see what happens. So 2015, we make the commitment of, we want to give six figures this year, which means if we give six figures, we're going to get to that million dollars of income, but I'm not really sure how we're going to get there yet, but let's have that leap of faith and let's start in January. So we literally adjusted all the different things that we give to based on that monthly that we wanted to give in order to get to that income. And so we are kind of having that faith in January that, which January was a really bad month, by the way. So you really had to take that faith and go, well, we paid it, it's working and we'll figure it out. And so literally that year we committed to giving $10,000 a month before we had even made the income. That's absolutely incredible. And it, obviously, you, you so you ended up giving one hundred twenty thousand dollars. You said that was twenty fifteen, right? Yep. Yep. Right. And what did it do for your income then? Did it have the result you so, were hoping? So, so we ended up income wise not on the tax return, but our gross income ended up hitting about seven fifty that year. Wow! What a jump! Yeah. What a jump so, because you committed to giving bigger, and it made you obviously get correct. out there and hustle and solve the problem. Correct. And so, you know, some of the stuff that's really cool too, that, that, that we love the position that we're in, um, last year, which this is cool because when you're generous and your kids see it and they catch it and you don't have to teach it to them, you know, you've kind of arrived and gone, well, this is awesome. Uh, my, my oldest son, Christian, he's got a heart of gold. He's 14. So he has two kids in his class that are twins. They're coming to school with like wearing the same clothes every day type thing. He's like, I'm not sure what's going on, but I overheard one of them saying that they're, you know, getting a divorce and their mom's waiting tables and just like bad stuff that they've never experienced. Like, you know, they were too little to understand what we went through early on. They do now, uh, but they know how blessed they are now and they want to share their blessings with others. So those, those twins that year, my son says, Hey, can we pay for them to go to camp? They can't afford it, which was like 500 bucks. So I said, okay, I said, let's do something better. Let's see if we can get people to give and let's share your story. So we get online and we make a Facebook video and we throw it out there. So not only does he raise enough money for them to go to camp, but he raises money for four other kids to go to camp. So he raises a little over $2,000 for kids to go to camp anonymously. He donates it all anonymously. Most of it came from my clients and friends and things like that. And so that was amazing. But what was more amazing was he came home and he's like, they're getting kicked out of their house. Can you guys do anything? We actually happened to have a rental property that we had purchased and we were in the process of renovating and it was brand new. Like, the roof, the kitchen, the bathrooms, it was everything. And we put a little discount into it 
and uh, we moved her in. So here she is recently divorced, four kids, in a house that's pretty much new all the way around. Wow. Because my kid listened to what was going on. God, there's such a lesson there. How many adults aren't even bothering to listen to what's going on to even notice right? they could help somebody? Right. They're too, it just, they're too absor like absorbed in their own problems right now. Right. And so you, you go forward a year later and we refinance that house. And so we refinanced it in November, which meant we weren't going to have a payment in December. So we reached out to her and said, hey, just so you know, we've covered your December rent. And wow. so... So it changes when you look at somebody, most of us don't think when we've been successful, we forget about how much $1,200 could impact a Christmas. Yep. And, you know, on that note, I have to go back. One other benefit in the company, which is one of the things that is so prideful for us, and I changed this two years ago. What's the worst thing? for people when they work for a company in December. I mean, the it's, the, it's the trying to get time off. It's the hecticness. It's the cost of the family, everything, all of it. So, and most people, most companies don't give their employees their bonuses until the end of the year. Right. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I decided, Hey, December's hectic enough on Tuesday before Thanksgiving. We're going to do our year end celebration party with our employees and we take them out for a nice lunch. I think last year we did sushi and we give their year end bonus before Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. Is that cool? So that they have money for black Friday, they get Wednesday off before Thanksgiving so that they can prep for their families, do their thing. No big deal. The most awesome thing was, I'm not sure if it was more of a blessing for them or me because the month of December, now has no stress for them because they've had money, they've done their Christmas shopping and they don't have an extra party to go to. Wow, that is really cool. That's really, I think I might come apply for a job with you guys. Done. I got, I got, I got to ask you this. Uh, you said 2015, you said, dang it, we're given six figures this time and then your income went up you know, massively by multiples. Yep. Did you yep. do it again in 2016? We did, we did. So we increased quite a bit. When it came down to it, our income in 2016, again, not our tax records, um, you know, but our gross company income reached somewhere around 1.2, 1.3 before the two companies or between the two companies. Mm -hmm. um, but you also have to remember that in that time frame, we doubled our staff and we bought a commercial building. <laughs> in 2016, if you go back 18 months ago, we were literally working from our home with wow. three employees. Wow. And now we're in a 11,000 square foot commercial building um, with offices, a podcast studio. Uh, it's just, it's been surreal what's happened in the last couple of years um, when it comes down to that. It's incredible. I mean, there's a tiny lesson right there that you probably didn't even intend on giving people. And that is just how quickly you can go from mounting your comeback to then doing okay to then absolutely skyrocketing. So anybody who feels like, gosh, when is it my turn? All they have to do is listen to this story and realize how quickly you are rising. Right. You know, you know what's uh, it's amazing is uh, I had a, an epiphany early this this week. We had uh, my partner and I both have separate real estate teams. He's got a huge one, like 40 people. Um, I have 13 employees. And so 
he asked me, he said, hey, you have somebody locally that could come in and speak and motivate? And I said, you know what? There's a great guy here locally, Brian North, that runs a brokerage. Uh, he's very charismatic, great guy. Um, I've actually coached with him a little bit, but just a cool guy. So he came in and talked about goal mapping. And I got done that day listening to his class and motivating everybody on their goals. But one of the things he said is, you know, we start writing goals and then in a year, those big goals that we wrote down, they don't come true. And then we either end up falling off because they didn't, or we end up keep going and we reset the target. He said, but I wrote some huge goals in 2006 and some of those goals didn't come to fruition until last year, almost 10 years later. He said, but they were in writing. I thought about it. I looked at it as if it happened. He said, it may not have happened then, but the point is, is that I wrote it down and it happened later on. And so I reflected on that and I look back at the goals that I might have written in 2008. And I could never tell you even the goals that I wrote two years ago that I'd be sitting where I'm at now because it surpassed some of the things that we wrote down. You know, when we were broke in 2008, 2009, not having anything, we had friends that used to invite us up one weekend a month or one weekend a year in Munns Park. And we'd sit on their patio and we'd come down the hill going, one day we really wanna own a place up here. And here we are. But we didn't buy it just for us. We bought it to share. We bought it to give back to other people that might be in the position that we're in, you know, 10 years ago. You never know when you can affect that person and make a difference in their life. So, you know, when he said that, I also went back to, honestly, I have a program. It's called Wealth Building, and that's what I do. I'm a wealth builder. And so, you know how Russell Brunson talks about uh, the, the click, what is it, the click funnel, whatever it is, yep. the hackers? Yep. Um, you know, our T-shirts have hashtag wealth builder on the back of them for the people that are involved in our wealth building program because I want to help build wealth and help teach people and help them create wealth. And in turn, it's helping me build wealth. But four years ago, and this, this all hit me this week, I have a coach, Kim Ryan here in Phoenix that coached me for four years and coached me through some really bad spots in life. And she did this thing called red shirting where you put this post-it note on the board and it's, if you weren't in this meeting, what would you be doing? Um, I'd be going on appointments, I'd be making calls, I'd be, you know, you write all these things down. And then the question is, well, if you could hire all that out, what would you be doing? And you go through this three or four times until you get to the bottom. And the bottom is, is I'd like to be coaching and mentoring and helping other people, helping in my parents' business. Now, this is before my dad got sick, um, you know, going through all that. But at the end of the day, she asked for like five words. And there's a word because this post-it note is still hanging up in my office and it's circled in red and it says wealth builder. And that was four years ago before the program, before we started flipping houses, before any of that. Jeez. And so now you're like, oh my God, that was in writing four years ago. And here we are with all of this stuff and all of these people helping them build wealth That's because incredible. it was, because it was written down. The power of writing something down. I don't think people quite give it enough credit, do they? Agreed. That is absolutely, that's, that's remarkable. So where did this extreme spirit of generosity come from? And you mentioned a long time ago uh, in this interview that your dad was generous sometimes to a fault. Is it as simple yeah. as it came from watching him growing up? 
partially. Part of it is this, is that uh, one of my, my great mentors right now, um, John, who I play racquetball with a couple times a week, and, and he's been mentoring for the last five years, and you know, he was retired CEO of a, a power company here in, in town, and great man. He used to, he was friends with my dad and he used to tell my dad, you have two choices. You either run your business as a business, but you need to stop running your business as a ministry. And my dad was very involved in church as we were all, all the time that we grew up. And my dad would, my dad would hire the less fortunate people thinking he could change them. And he'd give them an opportunity, but then when they wouldn't rise to the occasion, they he would keep them on rather than it's one of those changes in my life. You know, like I said, I've, I've hired a, a, an operating officer. I've hired a CFO and my dad would not put those people in place because my dad believed in, Hey, I could, we used to have this argument. My assistants paid very well. And he would say, I could hire three people for that. And I'm like, I don't want to manage the three people you hire for that price. Rather have one so, efficient rock star. Exactly. So going back to it, I believe that if I can hire efficient people and make my business super profitable, I can write checks and I can help people like the, the lady with the rental or giving my employees huge bonuses at the end of the year because they were efficient or, you know, giving more each month than our tithe or to missionaries or to charitable contributions when people need it. And that's always been my thing. Look, I just want to be able to write the check. There's a, there's a biblical thing where there's two types of people. There's kings and priests. There's people that go out and tell about things, and there's people that write the checks to fund those people that go out and do that. I want to be the guy writing the check. Because you can mobilize an army. Correct. And I can take the skills that my God-given skills and talents and put those to work rather than you know, working out there in that field, that's where the blessing comes in. There's a lot more people that are a lot more talented and skilled at being a missionary in Guadalajara or wherever it is. You know, that's just, that's just their thing. You know, you, you I think you guys give a ton when it comes down to it. I know that uh, you had that great award this year with the Pencils of Promise um, school. Best award that we've ever gotten yet to date. Which is super cool. It's it's what it's all about. It's It's where we... Listen, we get a satisfaction from a lot of things. I'm not going to tell you it's only from giving, but the best, the most real satisfaction, and, and obviously you're experiencing this, comes from giving. It's better than any things you can get. It's better than any trips you can take. It just feels better at a deep, intrinsic level, doesn't it? Absolutely. It goes back to that old saying, you know, it's better to give than receive, you know, whether or not you believe in that. I do, you know, and I think you do as well. And a lot of your audience does is that, you know, here's my opinion. I've been, I've been put on earth. I get to make a really good living. I give a lot of it away, but I get to keep some really cool stuff in between. It's incredible. And it makes your time here worth spending. That, that's how I feel about it. All right. So listen, you've, de you've delivered so much insane value. I mean, just, just your stories of generosity that you've shared, all the different ways that you're generous, that's worth the listen alone. Everything else is just a bonus, whether they learn how to form their business better, treat their employees better, whatever. Everything else is just a bonus. Your stories alone are, are massive inspiration. I, I want to ask you this. We do a fun little question, and it's meant to inspire more giving 
right? So all the listeners, we want them to give even more than they do right now. And so I kind of ask you to unapologetically brag for a real quick moment. And that is, tell us, what is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving? Mm. Oh, that's hard. You know, uh, so we, we go to, we go to church CCB and the coolest thing is being able to step out in faith and go, you know what, if I give this, I can make it again tomorrow. And they were doing a building program where it was raised a certain amount of money in one day. And my wife and I had a number in our minds and we got there that morning and they were talking about it. And both of us looked at each other like, we need to do more. So we both wrote our numbers down on a piece of paper. And it was almost triple what we had originally gone to the building looking for. We didn't exactly know where it was going to come from, but we did it anyway. And it was the most amazing thing to be part of. I think the church that day, it's just a cool place where we go. Uh, they're just amazing when it comes down to it. it really doesn't feel like church at the end of the day. Um, but they, uh, I think they raised like some like $7.8 million in one day. And to be part of that one day and looking around at what they've been able to do and what they've given back to the community and what they've done with those funds has been awesome to look back and go, I love being a part of this. And I love that it's doing greater things for more people at the end of the day. And that we took that leap of faith of let's just jump. That's incredible. Uh, you know, I love that. I forget exactly how you worded it, but when you said, let's give this today because we can make more tomorrow, that frees a lot of people up to stop worrying about, well, if I give this, what if I have none left, right? Because that's really what it's about. Right. If I give this Absolutely. today, I can go out, go out and make it more tomorrow. And, and that's, but I think you have to have the faith and the confidence in yourself and what you're doing and how you're doing it. And you know what? You can't disagree with, with Gary Vaynerchuk is that we live in a world that making money is endless right now. And then you switch over to Grant Cardone and go, you know what? It's our responsibility to wake up every morning and try to be successful and go through that and make money so that we can write checks so that we don't have to be worried about, hey, you know, my Aunt Ethel needs $5,000 to stay in her nursing home. You know, right now I'm actually facing that. My Aunt Evelyn, she's 97 years old. You know what? She's, she's in a home. She needs extra money to stay there longer. I can write the check. Which... If you, if I wasn't working the way I was doing or doing the things that I was doing, I wouldn't be able to do that. And that would suck. Isn't that the truth? So Steve, where everyone's going to want to, you know, either if they live in the Phoenix area, they're going to want to utilize your services or they may just want to reach out to you. Where's the best place for our listeners to get a hold of you or to find you? Uh, let's see. Facebook, um, Steve Valentine on there. Um, and then, uh, private message there. And then also through our website, which is uh, valentinegroupaz.com. Perfect. And then, you know, my cell number is 602-769-3803. And I can always be text or called there as well. I think it's the first time anyone's ever given out their cell no number on here. I mean, beware there, there's probably 20 to 40,000 listeners per episode. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's all good. I love it. I hope you get tons of great business because you keep pour, uh, you know, pouring it forward. All right, last signature question, Steve, and that is why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth or success? You know, 
I love that question, Chris, and here's why, because I've thought about it this week, and I'll go a little deep on this because it, it, it's all happened this week. Brian, Brian North brought it up, and he said, you know when people ask you what your why is? And, you know, some people are like, oh, my family, my kids, and they kind of give you the BS story, mm-hmm. but they don't ever really give you your why. Mm-hmm. Brian stood up there and said, you know, a guy, a guy makes good money. He says, you know what my why is? I want to surf more. He said, my family gets to come on those trips, but I want to surf more. That's my why. And I sat down with uh, with Tammy, my CFO, and I said, do you know what my why is? She's, duh. She's like, it's giving. She's like, that's all you want to do. She says, you want to make more money so you can give more away or so that you can take us to lunch or so that you can do whatever. And so I honestly believe that if we start with generosity versus income, I think it changes your life and I think it changes the world and it makes the world a better place. Well, you have clearly proven a formula of that in the story that you told earlier. And I think a lot of people are going to follow suit. I absolutely love it. Steve, I can't say thank you enough for being on again. Your stories are inspirational. Your tips are valuable. And this episode alone is going to change a lot of lives. And I'm grateful to you for it. Well, I appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to having some more conversations in the future. And I hope that it does change and impact, uh, you know, on the giving side, making people better. It certainly will. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.